Welcome back to War Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, high above XL Energy Center Ice, where the Wild just completed their morning skate in advance of tonight's game against the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, this podcast should be out beforehand, but going into the game, uh, the Wild have won nine of the last 12 games, three in a row in a regulation for the first time this season. And they have, um, what was the other thing? Oh, they've won seven of the last eight games at home, Anthony. Uh, it's got to be, unfortunately, you're not on the air tonight, but it's got to be exciting for you to finally be calling just consistent wins and consistent efforts every single night. And some excitement at home. It's yeah. more fun to call games at home just because the arena is energetic and loud and the fans are excited. And when they started out 2-5-1 and one at home, <laughs> and some of them were really tough games to call just because of the they were one-sided often mm-hmm. in the wrong direction. Now this the last month or so, it's felt more like wild hockey. It's felt more like a year ago. And I keep going back to remember the night Alex Goligoski had the yeah. overtime winner on the night they had his thousandth game celebration. And when he looked up at the crowd and said, we're going to get this figured out, just hang with us, you got the feel like, Number one, the team was well aware of their struggles at home. Number two, they were desperate to get that magic back in this building that they had a year ago. And the way the crowd roared, you could almost feel like there was this we're in it together feel. Yeah. And it's been great since Wild 7 of 8 yeah. at home. And and it's they've just had a little of that we're going to figure it out, find a way to win tonight kind of effort level. He's such a good team guy. I mean, that, at that point, remember, he was scratched so many games in a row. He gets the overtime winner, and then he has that interview where he basically you know makes it very clear to the fans that they're not delusional inside that locker room, that they knew that they weren't playing well enough. And um, I was just talking to Jake Middleson in the locker room right now, and I asked him what's the biggest difference. And he goes, we're just finally committed to everything, every facet of the game, whether it's five-on-five, power play, PK, defending, um, trying to play in the offensive zone, playing physically. Um, a lot of the, the physical play, it's been weird listening to other coaches in the last couple weeks constantly call the Wild a heavy team again. And I was like, wait a minute. We, you know, a lot of us have looked at this team from the start of the year as being, you know, maybe a lot smaller than last year's team, um, maybe even arguably a lot softer in last year's team, which is the dirtiest word in hockey. And then I don't know if it's any coincidence, but then r- they acquire Ryan Reeves. The team has won 7 of 10, I think, since, Anthony. And these other teams and their coaches are starting to r- call the wild heavy. And... I think one big reason is for his arrival because of him as a player, but I think a lot of it is what some of the guys in the locker room were saying after the game the other night against Detroit. Like Matt Dumble was saying that they uh, that the opponents are a lot quieter right now on the ice with everything they say. Guys in the locker room, uh, one player to me said the other day after the game that they just all feel six feet taller, which I think a lot of pl- a lot of the cynics will always say that's a fallacy. But it certainly feels like the Wild are playing this heavier, tougher game lately. It certainly felt that way against Detroit. And I've asked my two broadcast partners, Wes Walls and Ryan Carter, about that because I was with the fans Mm -hmm. thinking that this is more fallacy than real. How much difference can it really make having this one big guy in your lineup? Yeah, because it's not like he's getting on the ice to protect a Kaprizov at the same Correct. time. And and, exactly. Yeah. When If Spurgeon gets hit in the corner and Reeves is on the bench, what difference does it make? Yeah. But I asked those two guys, I said, how real is it? And they both said without hesitation, it's real. Yeah. And you just know that their donkey isn't going to take liberties on you because he knows that our guy is going to Beat the hell out of him. And he is old school. He doesn't go after the other guy's tough guy. He'll go right after the exactly. chickens of the world. He will. Now, I think there's a couple things in play here. One is you still have to be able to play. And if you can't play, you can't stay in the lineup. The, the days of having that guy play three and a half minutes and fight the other team's tough guy and maybe one shift where he goes out and makes a hit, you can't do that anymore. And we have to find out if Reeves can sustain this playing every night. There was a reason why he wasn't in the lineup in New York. So far, he's looked great here. But I think the bigger thing is the way he's stabilized the mentality of this team. I think they were fragile before they got him. And now all of a sudden, there's just a confidence. There's a quiet calm. The way he approaches the game every night, 
you can sense it. It just is a different feel inside the room. It's a different feel when you travel with this team. It's a different feel when you watch the bench. There's no panic. He really is a a guy who, for everything that you ever thought about him when you were watching him on the opposing team, it's very different when you see him up close. He's really in great shape. He works hard to keep himself ready to play. There's a lot more to him than just a big thug. And I think what he's done, and it's something we've talked about a lot with Billy Guerin and his strategies here, he makes sure he gets the right personality inside that room first and foremost, especially when it's a guy like him in mm-hmm. that role. And I think that is where he's provided a lot. And and there's a value in that that will allow some compensation for what if the game isn't quite as fast as it once was and what happens when Brandon Duhame is healthy and you've got to take one of your fourth line guys out. It's not a done deal. In fact, I don't think it will be Reeves as the guy coming out of the lineup, at least at first when everybody's healthy. Um, who do you think it would be? My guess is it's got to be one of the young guys on that fourth line, probably Mason Shaw, just because Dewar brings a little bit more on the kill and plays in the middle, mm-hmm. which would be tough because Shaw's been great. But I th- you're going to end up on with, the kill with Dewar. He is, but you're going to but Duhame could take that yeah. spot. You're going to end up with four guys for three spots on your fourth line, assuming everybody else is healthy. Right. Hartman's going to come in for Walker, and you're not going to put Duhame in any one of those top nine spots. Right. There isn't going to be a change with Steele on the Kaprizov-Zuccarello line anytime soon. You're not going to touch the yeah. identity line. Goudreau, Hartman, Boldy seems like a no-brainer to be your second so-called scoring line. So that leaves you four guys for three spots on the fourth line, and maybe it's some kind of a rotation where you you keep guys fresh, but my guess would be the first guy out. You're not going to take the veteran Reeves out until he plays himself out. And until that happens, yeah. my guess would be the first guy would be Shaw. Yeah. And I, I think Hartman, as you said, starts with Goudreau and Boldy. I, my gut says he eventually gets back to that top line if, if Steele isn't producing. And, you know, to me, if you put Steele as the left wing with Boldy and Goudreau, eventually um, Steele has the, the skill that could probably mesh on that line. But we'll see. I mean, again, everybody's got to be healthy. First, Brandon Duhame has to get healthy. You know, he had a setback recently. He skated today, which is a good thing. But clearly he's not going to be back till after Christmas, and he's going to have to work his way sort of back up the lineup because if you remember he was playing in that top nine role when he got hurt and was playing great at that time um let i want to talk to you about reeves um and the hit the other night but the one thing i will tell everybody also is to uh listen to the straight from the source podcast that i did with um with uh bill garen yesterday myself and joe smith interviewed him because one of the things that anthony just mentioned bill talked a lot about on that podcast and that is bringing in good guys like he, he you know he talked about how ev- he would like to add at some point here but there's a lot more than just adding any player you have to do a lot of due diligence behind the scenes to make sure he's the type of guy that's going to come in and and um, add something to this team from a good person standpoint as well and that what you're getting rid of if potentially somebody is out the door doesn't affect the team adversely because he's so important to that locker room and things like that. Um, the other thing I want to tell everybody is Split Rocks. January 3rd is our next uh, live show at 7 p.m. Split Rocks, uh, January 3rd, and also we'll be there on January 25th. The other thing that I want to tell everybody before we get to talking about Ryan Reeves is uh, really cool news here is that our, uh, is it fourth or fifth? Uh, European vacation is likely happening July 10th to the 21st. Um, it's going to be going to Sicily and Rome, we believe, um, and all that information will be out soon. But we've done how many? I've done five. This is You've the done fourth. Four? This will yeah. be the fourth one. So, uh, and these trips are so cool. Um, and if you want to be friends with Anthony and I, a lot of times that happens after these trips. Uh, because some of my best friends in town. <laughs> or are if you don't want to be friends with us, yeah. It, yeah, you'll yeah, have fun. You'll have fun yeah. on the trip. I can guarantee you. The one and, thing is that you'll le- you'll probably lose a lot of respect for me because you realize I'm not as cool as some people think I am. Uh, Anthony, though, uh, elevates on the uh, personal opinion list of a lot of people. Well, it's partially trips. because I travel with Margot, so yeah, people that that raises see the best of you, right? That that raises my stock yeah. immediately. But but these I, trips are so much fun, and this one I'm particularly excited about. I've wanted to get to Sicily. My family's roots are there. Yeah, me there too. in Calabria, right across the water, and this one is going to be focused on some of the food and wine yeah. from Sicily. That was the funniest part of this text exchange that we had with Michael Kenny from Define Destinations that sets this up is he's like, just to let you know, there's going to be a lot of wine and food. And Anthony's like, I think we can handle that. I think I can handle it. I'm yeah. in. And I'll tell you what, these guys that, that organize it, 
Michael Kenny does a tremendous job at Defined Destinations. Peter, our guide from Austria, who becomes an expert in wherever we're going, that's a part of the trip. But they do such a great job creating a mix of here's what you have to see when you're in this city, this town, this region, this area, and then here's some time for you to go explore on your own. Here are a couple ideas for you, but go check it out and do your own thing. And I keep going back to last year's trip to Budapest, Prague, and Vienna, and we had several conversations with people that were on that tour, first-time guests with us, who do a lot of traveling. And they had made, there were two things that stood out to me. One was the comment that I always wondered about traveling in a big group. I always wondered why you'd want to travel in a big group when you could just set it up yourself. And now that I've done this, I wouldn't travel any other way. And the second thing was, remember the next to last night, we had, it was a free night. Everybody go get dinner on your own, do whatever you want. And we had decided we were going to go check out the Italian place in Prague. And I had walked over there, made a reservation, figured I'll just make it for 10 or 12, just in case some people want to come along. We were doing our podcast that night. So we go to the group and said, hey, here's the deal. We're going to do the podcast. You're all welcome to come and watch. Michael and, and Peter had set up a, a sampling at this beer hall. That's at like 5 o'clock. And then we've got dinner reservations at this place at 7. If anybody wants to come along, you're welcome. Everybody in the group came to the podcast, wanted to go to the beer hall together, wanted to go to dinner together. So the, we've been together for 10 days. This is your night to go on your own. And all 24 wanted to come with us. Yeah. I remember calling the restaurant saying, yeah, I'm the guy who came in today and made a reservation for 12. Any chance I could make it for 24? And they had no idea what I was talking. They thought they couldn't figure, what do you mean 24? Yeah, said, how do you I, find I, 12 more people? I now have 24 people that want to come. And they set it up for it, and it was great. But it just stood out to me that at the end of a trip like that, all everybody wanted to do was hang together. And you'll have a blast. We'll have so much fun. We'll sample the best of food and wine from Sicily and southern Italy. Go check it out. Yeah. It, it, I and, just can't and, recommend yeah. these trips enough. And full disclosure, Alan Walsh, uh, Mark andre Fleury's agent, um, David Perron, Max Pacioretty, so many guys in the NHL, he's the one that recommended that Italian restaurant. And um, and then we also went to a couple places that, that Thomas Vanek rep, rep, uh, recommended in, uh, in, in uh, Vienna as well. Um, I'm really looking forward to Sicily too. I'm Sicilian. Uh, never, I've been to Italy three or four times. Never have been to Sicily, so I'm super looking forward to that. All right, let's talk Ryan Reeves um, now and the hit the other night. I mean, that one was right when it happened. It was freaking frightening. Um, you know, I've never, I don't know if we've seen a harder hit in this building uh, than that at all. Maybe back into the days of Derek Bugard. Um, obviously, the Matt Martin one was tragic with uh, Keith Ballard because Ballard never played again. But that one was an open ice hit from a guy that really wasn't skating hard. It wasn't like a charge. He was gliding in there. And what was so inexplicable about the hit is that Philip Ronick from the Detroit Red Wings stared at Reeves, saw him coming, knew he was on the ice because they tussled 10 seconds late, earlier in the, in the neutral zone. And then suddenly, at the last second, he looks behind him. And at that point, I mean, again, this is not happening in slow motion. Reeves is committed to his hit, and he turns around, and he gets clobbered. And Derek Lalonde, obviously, at the time, was upset. When he looked at it on replay, he wanted to know what the heck Philip Hronik was thinking. He actually asked him after the game, and it turned out Hronik thought it was a delayed penalty, uh, maybe from the incident that happened in the neutral zone. And he was looking behind him to see if the goalie, Helberg, was going to the bench. Uh, didn't see him, turns around, and then he gets clobbered. But that was your classic north-south hit that the league always talks about when we are in the Department of Player Safety. Like, I knew the second it happened that he was not getting in trouble because that was – he didn't elevate, he didn't launch, he didn't pick the head. He tried to hit him straight on, and then there's a point in the NHL 48.1 head contact rule that states – that there are hits where there's just unavoidable head contact. And it depends a lot of times on those factors I just mentioned, but also the posture and whether or not the player that's being hit, the receiving player, left himself exposed. In this case, he clearly did. And Ryan Reeves uh, gets off uh, scot-free for the hit. Yeah, I didn't think there was... Uh, when the officials went to discuss it in front of the penalty box, I worried for a moment because I thought, these guys are going to call a penalty because a guy got injured. Yeah. The hit was 100% legal. A guy skating out of the zone with his head down. Reeves hits him square on. I also thought what was interesting about it, and we commented it on the broadcast immediately, and then after the game I heard Reeves talk about the hit, is it had a football nature to it in that, and, and we commented on the broadcast, that this is a guy with football in his background, father played in the NFL and the CFL, 
Ryan himself was a football player. His brother, who I'm talking to in about 30 minutes, uh, plays in the CFL for the El- Edmonton Elks right now. Right, and Eskimos, aren't they? Uh, they're now the Elks, believe it or not. Really? Or, Did they maybe, switch? Maybe it's the Esk. They changed it. They, for they, politically they, collect, yeah, yeah. I think reasons? they changed the esks. Okay, now. all right. So it could be, and that'll be inter- That's interesting. Yeah. They still have the EE helmets. I love those old EE helmets. Let me uh, check. But the point of the story was that we talked. No, it's the Elks now. Oh, is it? Yeah, we they ca- must have changed it because it was. I was, love the old EE yeah. helmets. I hope they still have those. So the the comment we made on the broadcast was that. A lot of times hockey players, when they hit, will lead with a shoulder, where a football player comes squarely through you. Reeves didn't turn his shoulder. If he turns his shoulder into that hit, even though I still believe it would have been a legal hit, there's a chance the shoulder pops up, hits the jaw, and it looks illegal. In this case, he comes straight through him, square up as if he's making a tackle, and just lights the guy up. And I thought it was interesting that Reeves made that comment after the game, that he said, as a football player, you explode forward with both hands through contact. And he said, that's all I did. And and by the way, just remember, before he was drafted, and I'm doing a big story on Ryan Reeves, and this is total coincidence. This is not a reaction to this hit. This is something that's been in the works for a while. Last week I talked to his dad for an hour. I'm talking to his brother today. I've talked to Ryan, obviously, on the podcast that I did with him last week. If you remember, Ryan Reeves was supposed to be a professional football player. And what happened was he was playing a 15-year-old tournament. He's in a handshake line and tears his PCL or something. (laughs) In a handshake line. And that basically ended his football career, and he became essentially a a hockey player at that point. But to continue your point, Anthony, um, you know, this is a guy that, as you said, technically, from a technique standpoint, learned how to hit in hockey based on his football career. And it just brings that mentality, yeah. too, which I like. And I, I think he's he's just been a great addition to this team. I I'll, I have to admit that he's exceeded what I thought he would bring on the ice. Yeah. But, but do his, you remember that time? I mean, just to be in full disclosure, that time I, I told you that I was hearing that they were interested in him. You were like, I don't know if that's a good – we remember it yeah. was the podcast. Actually, it was live on this podcast. The week before the the trade, I it said, was, what do you and, think? and we had watched, we had yeah. seen the Rangers early in the season here. He wasn't playing much; he had been scratched a lot. It didn't look like his game had the pace. I didn't think to play on an every night basis, and I figured it was a move that would help and was designed to help behind the scenes as much as on the ice. But I just wondered how much a guy could lead if he wasn't playing all the time or playing much when he played. But he's brought a lot more than what I thought at the time of the trade. And as I say, we'll, we have to see if it can continue, see if it continues over the course of the season. But based on what he's brought so far, it's been a tremendous addition to this club, both on and off the ice. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's it has been good. I know that, there look, Reeves, I get it, you know. Um, you know, Reeves is always going to have his critics and whether or not, you know, he's impactful and are you really, you know, should you be playing a Reeves over a Brandon Newham or a Mason Shaw or a Sammy Walker or something like that. But, but again, he's got his purpose. Um, they didn't acquire him to sit him. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I, I think he's played pretty well. It would have been nice if he hit that empty net the other day because I didn't realize that he did a TNT interview before the game with um, Anson Carter, Paul Bizonette. Um I can't remember who the third person on the panel was. Um, and also it might have been Keith Yandel maybe. And um, – and uh, Liam McHugh, and he actually said they, they were t- joking about him potentially scoring that game if he'd promise it, and that would have been perfect, which would explain his reaction, too. At first, his reaction on the bench uh, after he didn't score uh, looked to me like, all right, is he embarrassed he missed that empty net? But it actually had to do with the fact that on TNT, they had basically bet him if he would score that night. Tell us about Moe's, Anthony. Well, it's a great spot. Moe's at the Ice House at Fogarty Arena. It's a tremendous spot to go watch a game. Great big screen TVs. Great spot if you're at Fogarty Arena for a game or if you just want to go out and catch the Minnesota Wild on television. Specials during games are frequent, and the menu's terrific. I was a big fan of Moe's original restaurant in Moundsview. There's a few holdovers from that, but the food's great. Great little venue overlooking the curling rink there. Check out the pastrami sandwich. It's my favorite. They used to have a, a sandwich I used to harass our, the owner, a good bu- friend of mine, Jeff Maritko, used to harass him that he had to get the pastrami sandwich back at Moe's, so I'd come back, and he got it. It's a, he's got a version of it at the Ice House, at uh, Moe's Ice House there, so check it out. It's a tremendous spot, and you'll love it. Great place to watch a game, great venue, and good food. If you're like most people, 
you've been wondering if the real estate market is going to crash. Well, I went right to an expert the other day, and that, you know who it is, it's Chris Lindahl, and I asked him point blank. Chris started in 2009, as we all know, there were similar tensions back then, so I wanted to know where we were headed, and here's what Chris told me. The supply of homes would have to outweigh demand, not be at all-time lows for a crash to happen. The average days on market would need to spike as well. If you look right now, houses are sitting on the market longer, prices are being cut a lot too, but the seasons and market have both been shifting, so it's hard to say that the sky is falling. Number one thing people can control right now is their equity being at all-time highs. Homeowners that want to guarantee they keep their equity need to be proactive, not wait until it's too late, which is why so many are coming to Chris Lindahl Real Estate for their guaranteed offer program. It's a great hedge against high inflation and interest rates vaporizing people's equity. Request your no-obligation guaranteed offer right now by going to chrislindahl.com. Terms and conditions apply. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call is always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. All right, back here, worst seats in the house. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, coming to you from high above the XL Energy Center where the Chicago Blackhawks, who played last night against the Vegas Golden Knights, um, only have a couple of their extra guys being uh, bagged out here right now by one of the assistant coaches. So the uh, Blackhawks... Um, as usually doesn't uh, usually happens when it's a second of a back-to-back is not having a morning skate today. The Wild almost never have a morning skate uh, on the second of back-to-backs, which maybe explains why they've been so good this year on the back second of back-to-backs. Um, all right, where should we go from here? Remember, Split Rocks, January 3rd is our next live show at 7 p.m. Hopefully everybody can come out. I got a ton of Twitter questions. Do you, you want to talk about one thing? Well, I was just, we've got uh, a, a few games left here before the holiday break, and I think it's, it's interesting just to look at this from a big picture standpoint. You talked earlier about the magic at home. And remember, we talked, they lost the first three games, gave up 20 goals. And we had made the comment that I think you have to get a bigger sample, mm-hmm. sample size. And we, that first road trip, we said, let's take a look when you get back from the trip. These three games, if they happen in January or February, it's just a little blip on the radar, but because they're the first three, everybody's really worried about it. Now, if you look at it, if you eliminate those three games, they're 16, eight and two mm-hmm. over this stretch. And that's over a relatively accurate sample size of some of the best teams in the league, some of the bottom feeders, some home, some road, long road trips, long home stands. So a pretty fair cross section of the league, I think. and. 16, 8, and 2, despite not one night this season having their full complement of players. They haven't yet had their mm-hmm. full roster for any one game this season. It's hopefully coming soon. But now you take a look at these four before the break. You've got Chicago and Ottawa at home. You head out on the road, and yes, it's back-to-backs, but it's San Jose and Anaheim. Four games that you'd look at and say, hey, Wait let's get these four head into the holiday break, and now you're talking about a team that probably has the best record in the NHL over that stretch, eliminating the first three games of the season. Be a great way to head into the holidays, and but I think it's four games you have to take advantage of. Yeah. You have to get maybe three out of the four, three 0-1 in the four or something, and no reason you can't. But I think these four are a, a, a huge point in this season for this club. Uh, Flowers starting tonight. You think Gus gets his old Ottawa Senators on Sunday and then they split the two I do games? think yep. they will. And and I think it's I think Gus has played his way into that. I also think they've they've put him in some good spots. Yeah. He got I, Detroit, I wrote about that in my game. He got Detroit here when they're on the back end of back-to-backs. No Larkin. Hronick gets knocked out and faces almost no scoring chances. The game before was not. That was in Vancouver, back end of back-to-backs for Minnesota, and I thought he was really good that night. Great. But if you look over the last couple weeks, he's had some favorable matchup opportunities. This would be another one to get the Ottawa Senators in here, and then he'll he'll get one of the Ducks or Sharks. But... We talked all year, you have to find a way to get 25 to 28 starts out of your backup, and maybe slightly more than that. 
And could Gustafson be that guy? I think he's answered that. After a shaky start, he's won five in a row, and he's looked more and more confident, more and more calm each night. I thought he was terrific in Vancouver the last game of the road trip, and then I thought he did what he had to do against Detroit. Didn't face many chances, but stopped the ones he faced. Um, Let's uh, uh, talk uh, roster a bit in future. Uh, So the Wild, and again, everybody should listen to that Straight from the Source podcast because we talk a lot about this with Bill Guerin. Um, and and all, there are a couple things, topics that we talk about with Bill Guerin that are really interesting. One is that his pr- what he felt pressure to add a top six scorer has definitely definitely dissipated for two reasons. One, they're getting healthy, so they almost have too many players, and Ryan Hartman could potentially be that scorer that they're adding to the lineup. But the other big reason is that they're winning, and they've won nine of the last twelve, so it's definitely taken the pressure off um, of that. So uh, we'll see. Um, you know uh, what happens there, but right now, I while well, I think that eventually, closer to the trade deadline, he's going to want to add. I don't think there's as much uh, pressing urgency right now. Um, but the other thing that we talked about on this podcast with Bill Guerin is the Wild have currently, you know, uh, barring any trades of players with term. So this does not include like a Matt Dumba if they dealt him. This is a team that has $15.5 million worth of cap space this summer. And listen to the guys that are at least, I'm not saying that they have to resign, but are pending free agents, whether restricted or unrestricted. Matt Boldy, Freddie Goudreau, which you and I both know are, is going to be resigned. There's no chance that Dean Evans. No chance, but you also have to wonder, right. does Goudreau take some kind of a team-friendly deal, like a Hartman-type yeah. deal? He, I, I joked with uh, Billy yesterday, he'd probably take eight years, eight million. Like, meaning <laughs> eight years, one <laughs> right. million, one million. He one probably million. would. Yeah, um, Mason Shaw. Brandon Duhame, Ryan Reeves, Kalen Addison, Matt Dumba, Philip Gustafson, Sam Steele. That's a lot of players that you're going to have to decide on. My gut says, obviously, Boldy gets a bridge deal. They re-sign Goudreau, obviously re-sign Shaw. Um, re-sign, I would think, Gustafson. Steele is the interesting one because he could think- be redundant, but he's been good. But he's somebody that you could probably sign on the cheat. The problem is he has Arbright's. Um, and then the interesting ones is Ryan Reeves would, pr- my gut says he's going to price himself out of here like Nicholas Delorier. I think the Wild would love to bring back like on a, you know, a league minimum deal, but I, my gut, I, I you know, he's not taking that. Um, the, the, the interesting ones are guys like Brandon Duham and Kalen Addison, because, you know, they are the ones that are, are, um, yeah, are, are players that could command interesting money and you do him. You know, we're starting to see this team get stacked up. Sammy Walker's entered the fold. Marco Rossi's here. These guys potentially going to have roster spots next year. Brandon Duham could be redundant because of Marcos Felina's presence. And then Kalen Addison is somebody that could get a lot of money, and who knows if they could afford him. Could get a lot of money. I also think there's no chance they just let him no, go they, because yeah. they'll they no, could they, get yeah, something you, for him. And especially now, like you right. could get a lot if you ever wanted to open them up to other teams, whether and, it's in season or in the off season. And Duhame to me is I think it depends on what happens with the other guys because he's been great and he will be in the lineup when he's healthy. I think he's a guy that brings a lot to the table. So now you have to decide what you've done with other guys, though, and where he fits. I think he fits it with this club and is a part of uh, bottom six, makes it sound like he's just that. But I think that's probably where he fits as a third or fourth line guy, but brings speed, kills penalties, but brings a little jump and a little physicality, a little edge, a little bite to one of those two lines. Provides a guy that if or when... Greenway or Felino gets banged up, he's the logical guy to throw in on that line with you'd like to think you wouldn't lose much by putting him in one of those spots. And that line, as we've seen, is such a a huge indicator of the type of hockey this team yeah. plays. I don't see a way that Duhame is not a part of this team next season. And uh, but you know, again, this money's tight. They have dead money for two more years after this that are significant. They have dead money for, like, six more years, but dead money that's significant for the next two. And remember, there's other guys that are going to have to be re-signed. I mean, they're going to have to make a decision on Marcus Foligno. They're going to have to make a decision on Matt Zuccarello, and we know how important he is to this team and to Kirill Kaprizov's on-ice success and off-ice happiness. Um, So it's just going to be really interesting. And, again, you can hear more from Bill Guerin on that in both um, the article that Joe Smith and I wrote and also the podcast that we did with Bill Guerin. Um, Let's talk about uh, uh, some Twitter questions here. Um, uh, You know, uh, Paul asks, uh, our buddy the Hype Man, asks about the Wild and all the canceled practices and things like that. They they don't practice a lot. And he wanted to know if it's uh, as little as anybody in the league. From my 
experience it is. I mean, I think that Bill that, that Dean Evison values rest. He knows when this team is playing well and needs practice. Um, the one that did surprise me was canceling yesterday because that would have allowed Ryan Hartman to probably return tonight against Chicago because they canceled practice. Uh, they're going to want him. They, they He did work hard with the assistant coaches today. He'll get a practice in on Saturday, probably a short one, but they have an afternoon game on Sunday, and the goal is to get him back in the lineup against the Ottawa Senators. But in your estimation, what do you think of all the canceled practices or lack of practices? There have been a few that have surprised me, but and yesterday's was one. There was one on the road in Edmonton where I really thought they'd practice yeah, after they I were agree, beaten yeah. in Calgary. And the same kind of deal. They were trying to get Jonas Brodeen back, and I thought they might use a practice to make sure he was ready. He wound up playing anyway in Edmonton, which was great. But there have been a couple like that where it's been following a performance that I thought, well, tomorrow would seem like a day to practice. But for the most part, I think when they're playing well, they do value the rest, and they have a good feel for their guys and a handle on their guys. And the younger guys and the guys that are playing less often on those days are still making sure they get on the ice or skating longer the next day at morning skate to make sure they keep themselves ready. They watch it closely. Their, their strength and training staff has heart monitors on all these guys, and I, I know that they're studying it each day, saying, okay, this guy looks like he could use a little more. This guy looks like we need to back off him a little bit. And the other part is they've been so banged up, so beaten up, mentioned earlier they haven't had their full lineup ever that I think they just are looking at it saying we got to we just have to make sure these guys stay healthy and stay on the ice and if giving them a day to rest gives us a better chance to do just that why not yeah the one thing I've always wondered about is and the wild aren't the only ones but to me there are days where it's an off day and if your game isn't where you want it to be I've wondered why there isn't more value in walkthrough type practices. And I talked with some of the wild assistants on the recent road trip and talked about the just the mental break that they view that players need, even if it's as simple as not putting your gear on that day, just not throwing on your skates and your shin pads and everything else that you just it get, and they all talked about how much of a bounce back it gives you. So even if it's just a low energy light cardio load practice, they think it still provides a lot of strain and a lot of stress on your body, mentally and physically. So if there's more value in just staying home, staying away from the rink, taking the day off, why not? So far, it's hard to argue with it. They've had a lot of success the last two years with very minimal practice time. Yeah, that is true. Uh, last year it was crazy, though. They only practiced once with Marc-Andre Fleury in the fold. Maybe twice. Uh, once before the playoffs and once on the road in Nashville, I believe it was. Um, uh, and then they, they practiced once also after he was traded here, but he had flown back to Chicago to get all his stuff. Um, so they basically had three practices the last two and a half months of last season. Um, but but I agree with you. You know the one interesting thing? So I'm working on this giant story that I really don't want to scoop myself, but it, it's such a cool story that I've been working on for like a couple months here, or, or several weeks, let's put it that way, that'll, that'll run in early January. It's a big national story where I'm talking to a bunch of different players about what it's like in an NHL locker room during intermission. And the one thing I've learned during this, Zach Hyman was telling me this the other day, but uh, other guys, he basically echoed what a lot of guys said, that there's nothing worse than putting on your equipment. It's the worst part of hockey. And that sometimes, you know, John Tortorella talks about this all the time, why he doesn't like pregame skates. He basically says that, like, just the mental break of just not having to put everything on sometimes is a good which thing. is exactly why dean has made them optional is that he's made the same point he said some days when you come to the rink even though you're there and we have our meetings if you just can give a guy the break to say don't even bother putting on your gear just come come to the meetings throw your sweatsuit on and walk around the room be there with the guys all that kind of stuff he said what difference does it make if a guy feels like it it just taxes them a little bit physically or mentally or both to throw all that gear on an extra time why not just take the break and yeah. i just i think when you look at the way that this club has responded and most of the time when it's optional skates you see all the young guys out there anyway it's just the older guys who know their body better than anybody know what it feels like know what they feel like when they skate and when they don't skate that why not trust those guys until they give you reason not to? 
Um, by the way, I mentioned the intermission story. I'm also doing a really bunch of cool stuff in the next couple of days. I'm actually going to Arizona on uh, Saturday morning, and I'm going to be going to the Buffalo Sabres and the Montreal Canadiens games on Saturday and Monday against the uh, Arizona Coyotes. Um, uh, tomorrow, so just I'm- think about that for one second. If at the start of an NHL season I told you, hey, you're going to pick a couple road games to see and a couple just between two clubs in the NHL to go see, the Montreal Canadiens at the Arizona Coyotes would be on that list? No, but the <laughs> timing works out perfectly because... I, I, I understand yeah. you've got a reason, and, yeah, and like, I know going yeah. to Phoenix in the middle of winter is a great thing, but ju- I'm just saying from a hockey standpoint, yeah. can you imagine looking at the NHL schedule when the season started and saying, here's a game I'd like to see, yeah. Montreal at Arizona? I know. Um, but it worked out perfectly because then I could pick up the Wild in Anaheim and San Jose, so the timing was perfect. But um, to get back to my original point, uh, so uh, check out The Athletic for podcasts and articles. I'm sitting down with Tage Thompson tomorrow, who has 24 goals now in the season, who was born in Arizona. I'm sitting down with him tomorrow for a podcast. I'm also doing a podcast with Kevin Adams, the Buffalo Sabres GM. Um, I'm sitting down with Austin Matthews, and uh, dad and mom. Uh, while down there. I'm sitting down with Matty Nyes and his dad while down there um, doing a podcast with Bill Armstrong and an article on them. So a lot of stuff coming out uh, there, probably even Nick Suzuki as well. As you mention all that, it reminds me that I, I meant to bring it up on an earlier show. Isn't it amazing how the game has expanded? And I know there's a lot of people that criticize the commissioner for his commitment to trying to keep an NHL team in Arizona and and believe me, I'm right there with it when you look at what a mess that's been for as long as it's been. And, and there's no other situation that probably would have been allowed to go on the way there has, theirs has. Play in a 5,000-seat arena now, even with no guarantee that there's going to be a solution there. And you have to respect his commitment because he knew how it would help grow the game there, right or wrong. It has really helped. And we did a game here. I can't remember the opponent. But there had, there were players from 12 different U.S. states represented in that game. Mm-hmm. And Minnesota had two or three, but which was the most, but it wasn't the only. And I thought, think if I had told you that, say, 12 years ago, that you would have an NHL game that featured players born in 12 different U.S. Yeah. states. I don't think you would have never thought it possible. Yeah, I remember when the Wild signed Casey Wellman, and I saw that he was from California. I was just so absolutely stunned by that. I'm like, a kid from California? Right. And in this game, I, I wish I could remember which opponent it was because I jotted them all down, but there, it was Oklahoma and Florida and South Carolina and New York and Michigan, some of the ones that wouldn't surprise you as much, but... It was crazy, the states that were represented in that game. Yeah, uh, I'm looking right now. Um, I'll, I'll figure it out when we're not live. Um, some A lot of people have asked me, have kind of been alluding that I think that the Wild are going to figure out a way to adopt these, um, these jerseys uh, that the Wild have, the reverse retros. Um, you know, this is just my opinion. I don't think they're ever going to rebrand. I think they're they're. But but the one thing here, and I don't think this is going to be their quote third jersey that they're going to be unveiling next year. But the one thing that is very clear when I watch games on TV, the St. Louis Blues, the Vancouver Canucks, is that a lot of teams have found loopholes in the NHL rule of number of jerseys you can have. And there's certain teams that have different shades of different types of jerseys and things like that. And the Wild, these reverse retros whether you're people that kind of roll your eyes at the whole like love affair with the North Stars or not, I have got, seen a couple on Twitter here, uh, actually today, people that are maybe you know younger than 40 that don't have the appreciation, appreciation of the North Stars. You'd be, if you're the Wild, you would be stupid to not try to take advantage of just the fact that they sell these things out. It's so stupid that the league only allows these teams to only sell 6,000 of these jerseys. In fact, I've gotten people on Twitter that have sent me screen captures of... Um, them on the first day buying these jerseys on NHLshop.com or whatever it's called, and then next thing you know, a month and a half later, having it canceled because they've run out of inventory, which seems totally unfair. Um, so I just think that the le- that the Wild are going to start to uh, figure. You know, I'm sure the Wild are going to look at this and figure out a way. Could they have multiple types of jerseys in their rotation? Um, uh, starting next season, and I just my gut says that we're going to see these reverse retros, maybe um, you know, over and over again in some capacity. It's an interesting question because I did grow up a North Star fan, so I love the green and gold. Absolutely love the green and gold. I wish the NHL would have 
realized what the NFL realized in situations where teams left. And the NFL didn't get it right either at first. And I'll think back to when the Colts left Baltimore and went to Indianapolis and took the Colts with them. But when they got it right was when Cleveland left and went to Baltimore to become the Ravens. They said, you can go, but you can't take the Browns with you because they knew they'd get another team back in Cleveland. So the Cleveland Browns leave, they go to Baltimore, become the Ravens, but they allowed Cleveland to maintain the name the Browns, the logo of the Browns, and all the records of the Browns. I wish they would have done that when the Stars left and said Minnesota still has the rights to the logo, to the colors, to the name, to the franchise history. It is so weird to go down to a game in Dallas and see Broughton and Madonna hanging from the rafters. Now, Madonna's a little different because most of his career was in Dallas as opposed to here. But some of the guys that were only or mostly a part of the Stars in Minnesota, their name should be here, not in Dallas. Yeah. But the league didn't do it that way. So the wild is different. And I also understand those that say, hey, the green and gold is gone. It's over and done with. The North Stars are are an ancient memory. There's a generation of fans here that never knew the North Stars. So I see both sides of the, of the debate, of the discussion. I wish they would have done it right from the beginning and that this team would still have those ties to those colors and even that name and those records. But they don't. So... I kind of like the tradition of teams have two jerseys. They've got a home jersey and a road jersey. I get the third jersey because you can sell more of them, but I I like the teams that have never changed. Yeah, I love the fact that when you see, and they have the reverse retros, but I love when you see those original six teams, the jerseys are basically the same. And, and I, that is the rule, by the way, with those. They're, right. the, they're the only six teams in the league that they could have the reverse retros because that's a league thing, but they will never have an alteration at all of their jerseys. Where I mean, just watch a Blues game on, at home. like It's like a freaking different jersey yeah, every like night. It's like watching Utah or uh, yeah, Oregon exactly. play college Oregon. football. Don't they have like 40 or something? Yeah, they have an infinite number of combinations. Yeah. And I, I'm a traditionalist, so I like the teams that – Here's your home jersey. Here's your road jersey. You know who you're watching. Now you flip on the TV sometimes, and I'll see a team. I'm, I don't even know who the hell that is at first glance. That yeah. w- who you're watching. And well, how about the ha- Habs reverse retro yesterday? That, that is an abomination. The Baby powder blue. Blues. Yeah, like, I don't, come on. That's it. Looks like the Minnesota Twins in 1973 <laughs> going to going on the road. But yeah. I I just. I love the green and gold because I grew up a North Star fan. I'll always love it. I think the wild. I think they look so sharp, and I've always loved that color combination. Dallas doesn't use it anyway, so why not let Minnesota have it back? Um, I wanted to tell everybody about Aquarius Home Services. The holiday season is here, and if you're like most families, that means a ton of cooking. Make sure you're getting the most of your cooking with Connecticut's K5 drinking water system. The Connecticut K5 drinking water system makes it convenient to get purified water right from your sink or your fridge. Certified to remove more contaminants than any other system with 99% contaminant removal. My friends over to Aquarius Home Services in Connecticut can help you. They installed my K5 drinking water system for me a couple years ago, and it is the best decision I have made for healthy drinking water, and it makes my recipes top-notch, and everybody knows that I love to cook. Right, Anthony? Anyway, if you want to learn more about Connecticut's K5 drinking water system, contact Aquarius for a free water analysis or visit them at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with the Royal's mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash royalchallenge, insured by NCUA. As you head into the holiday season and you start planning your meals, you got to stop at places to pick up the best ingredients, and that's Kowalski's. The great thing about Kowalski's is you can plan ahead. So if you know what you want to prepare over the holidays, stop at their meat and seafood counter. Let them know. They'll have it ready for you. They'll have it packaged up for you so that all you have to do is go in and pick it up. They'll make sure they offer you ideas and suggestions on how to prepare it. They've got little recipe cards for a lot of it. Ask those guys. They're knowledgeable. They're insightful. You'll come up with great ideas. And as you move into 
of this holiday season and you start thinking ahead, you've got your family and your best friends coming to join you, you better start with the best food, the best ingredients. For that, I go to Kowalski's and, boy, I'll tell you what, coming into this holiday season, we're on the road on the 21st and the 22nd. Fly home late at night after the 22nd. So I get home early in the morning on the 23rd. We have our Feast of Seven Fishes on the 23rd. We host on Christmas Eve and Christmas. I've been texting back and forth with our friend Troy Schmeling from Kowalski's. Hey, I'm, I got to get this stuff organized. I got to plan my menu ahead. I'm going to need this. I'm going to need this. I'm gonna need... It's been fun working with them on it. As you well know, that Feast of Seven Fishes is one of my favorite nights. It's become a family favorite that where we sit around the table on the 23rd, seven different kinds of fish, plenty of vino, and it's become a highlight of the holiday season. I'm really excited about it this year. We're going to try a full fish skin on grouper this year which we haven't done before uh-huh. i know you're a big seafood guy yeah, adventurous from time to time we're going to try monkfish this year mm-hmm. which we haven't done before so i love just trying new things and what date is that it's on I the 23rd accept your invitation yeah the 23rd well are you on the california trip right yeah i am uh but uh, um i was thinking of coming over cr- christmas, christmas eve. day or, or whatever Whichever. christmas night or you're something. welcome we'll be there christmas eve and christmas day um the christmas eve my other brothers will be around as well, and uh, my sister's coming to town from Kansas. But we, we can talk about that and figure out when you can come over. But we didn't. Uh, I didn't extend the Seven Fishes invite. Yeah. I know my. You I saw know, Dave Simonet yesterday, by the way, uh, who was at the uh, the your, your Misfit Toys Miss, party. Yeah, a few yeah years I saw back. him. So uh, I went to. Uh, they had a private show, uh, or not a private show. They had a show. Um, it's a really like ambient type music. It's re- it was really cool at Ice House at uh, like 10 p.m. yesterday. Uh, him and my friend Don and Amen and all those guys from Trample too. Um, uh, by the way, that's going to be a crazy trip for you. That between Anaheim and Santa, you're going to be exhausted. Like the uh, so after that, listen to what the Wild have to do. I don't know how the league allows this. So the Wild play the Ducks on Wednesday night. Well, by the time that game's over, there's no way to get out of Anaheim because of their noise curfew there. So no, the, the team's got the noise curfews in San Jose. No, is no, it not? they they have the Anaheim, the one at Newport Beach area. That type. They, so you have to bus to L.A. to fly to L.A. to go to San Jose, but because of the curfew in San Jose, you have to land in Oakland and take a 40 minute bus to San Jose. And then, uh, then you're gonna have to race out of San Jose to beat the curfew out of San Jose's airport, and so that one's gonna be that. That's one of those ones like in San Jose where you're just gonna wonder like how how the team's gonna look on a second of a back to back where you've had like you got a bus for 40 minutes up to L.A. fly to a different airport, different city. I know you'll this be like shocked Graf's, to know that, uh, that I haven't looked at our travel yeah, plan yet for that trip, so I so, had no, this is all yeah. news to me. Hey, by other the way, speaking that, of Chad Other Graf- than that, I just wanted to make sure I got home the night after the game on the 22nd and not stay over and fly the 23rd, because that wouldn't that wouldn't work with the Feast of Seven Fishes going on. Um, so, speaking of Chad Graff, by the way, so the Patriots were in Tucson, Arizona this week between uh, them playing the, the Cardinals and them playing Vegas this weekend. And so uh, instead of flying back to Boston, the Patriots practiced two hours south of uh, Arizona. So Chad Graff, who uh, a lot of people listening to this podcast know because he covered the Vikings for the Athletic and the Wild for the Pioneer Press before that, he and the Vikings for the Pioneer Press, he was uh, at this hotel. All of a sudden I get this like screen capture that he sends me or a picture that he sends me of this uh, video board that says Minnesota Wild Meetings. So I asked around. I knew that it couldn't have been like Craig Leopold, Bill Guerin, or Matt Maka because they were at the Board of Governors meetings flying home that day from uh, from there, from South Florida. So I asked around. It turned out it was like all the wild pro scouts, like Ray Shiro, Richard Parr, Chris Kelleher, all those guys down there, Medano, um, uh, down at this hotel. Like, what are the chances that, like, of all the hotels in this country, that the Minnesota Wild would be at the Tucson Marriott having meetings the same time all the Pats writers are there and that Chad Graff would even recognize the fact that all these guys are there. Like, like so I, once again, he scooped you, yeah, which exactly. happened like, so it, often but it was when so he funny. was in it's town like, here. I spooked all these people at the Wild. I'm like, why are you guys at the Tucson Marriott? And they're like thinking that I'm like hiding in a bush or something like that. All right, let's continue some Twitter questions and then we'll wrap up the show again. January 3rd, Split Rocks is our next live show. Um, Glenn wants to know, uh, what are the pieces that you think this team needs for a str- to be a strong playoff team? Obviously, they got to con- they get much better goals than they did in last year's playoffs. That's one. Um, but the one th- I, I think I still think that at some point, if this team wants to be a true contender, that they've got to acquire a center to put in that in that role between Caprice up and Zuccarello. 
I'm less convinced that that's even possible, only because of what it would take to bring in an upgrade at that spot. I agree in theory that it would having a top line, top end center would for sure help, but who wouldn't it help? And I think the I think what's interesting, and maybe it's a deeper conversation for another time, but when you look around the Western Conference this year, the teams that I thought were slightly separated from the pack are not. Yeah. One of them's Colorado, and that's been largely due to injury. But I really felt like Colorado was a slightly different, and then everybody else in the Central, with the exception of Chicago and Arizona on the bottom end, I thought the other teams, Minnesota, Nashville, Dallas, St. Louis, and Winnipeg, you could throw them all in a bucket, and any one of them could finish second, any one of them could finish sixth, and it wouldn't have been a shock. And then when you looked at the Pacific, I thought Calgary was a, a cut above everybody, and Edmonton looked like they might last year in the playoffs have figured it out. They haven't. Calgary's taken a step back. Los Angeles is not as advanced as I thought they might be in their rebuild and their page turning, I guess, better than rebuild because I really felt like the rebuild was had turned the corner. Vegas I thought would be better than last year. I don't think they're as good as they've played so far this season. I just and they don't have a think, ton of injuries right now. Ton of injuries. And I still think Vegas is a playoff team, but I thought Calgary was different. I thought Edmonton maybe yeah. would be different. I thought Colorado the was different. The teams that have surprised me the most in this conference is Dallas and Winnipeg. I mean, these guys are winning big games. I mean, they are, Dallas goes I, to Washington last night, and Ottinger gets 45 saves. Uh, Winnipeg beats Nashville, and and like they just keep on winning. Like the I Wild think, have won nine of twelve and can't even get within five points of these. Teams. And I think Dallas is for real. I think I still think they're a little bit vulnerable on the back end, not in goal on defense. I'm talking, and their goaltending has been the reason why they haven't lost any ground. But I still, you don't look at Dallas and say that they're an uncatchable team. Right. Or if Minnesota played them in a playoff series, you'd say, well, this is a series the Wild can't win. I thought there were three teams, maybe four in the West, that might be different. And then everybody else would be, yeah, they'll probably be a playoff team, might be a handful in a first-round series, but unlikely to make a run. I think right now, when you start to look around the West, who would you say is an opponent that Minnesota couldn't beat? Maybe Colorado won healthy. Other than that, is there another one? I yeah, don't think so. That'd so, probably be the one. So, but that's why I just don't know if there's going to be. Dallas scares me. I don't know. There's just something about that team. It could be, but it isn't a series you'd go in saying, "Yeah, this is a one-sided series." So, and the only reason I I look at it that way is I think the trade deadline this year, or Vegas as we is advance to, I think Vegas is. A I lot think better Vegas. Than you think. I think Vegas is good. Yeah. I think Vegas is legit. They have if they get goaltending. Logan they Thompson's been line. great so far, and they have the best blue line in the league. In the West, for in sure. West. And I think they're deep enough up front, but we'll see. I, they're, I don't think their third, fourth lines compare. I think their fourth line is probably the best in the league. But I don't know that they're better than Minnesota's third and fourth line when everybody's playing mm-hmm. for Minnesota. Throw a fourth line for the Wild that's got Duhame on it and either Shaw and Dewar or Dewar and Reeves or whatever. They certainly aren't going to match Minnesota's third line with Felino, Eck, and, and Greenway. But I... The only reason I bring all this up is I say that there are going to be some huge names out there at the trade deadline and a whole bunch of teams that are in about the same spot as the Minnesota Wild in that they look like probably can be a playoff team. Are you one guy away from a Stanley Cup run? And when you look around the West, I don't know that anybody's going to look any different than anybody else. So I think everybody's going to look at it and say, boy, if we could pick up a first line or true top front end center we could make a run so how much are you willing to give up for that who's got the cap space to do it I think there are just a lot of questions I think this is going to be one of the more intriguing trade deadlines because you look out there at guys like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves likely to move somewhere Bo Horvat sounds like a, a guy who might be moved before the deadline all of those guys could be such a huge game changer but there are seven teams that might be looking at it saying well, if we got him, we become the team to beat in the West. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Horvat's the one that's going to be just interesting where the heck he goes. Um, you know, can lots of talk, maybe the Rangers, Taves, the the Avs, if these guys, hey, there you are with God Gorgie during that high school game yesterday. All right. Uh, well, let, well, let me talk about that for one second. We do a couple high school games last night. 
I love this high school hockey package on Valley Sports North. And when we were talking about putting it together, I really wanted to be a part of it. And had gone to my boss and said, I'll do as many games as I can do that fit in the wild schedule. So anytime we're home and off, I'm in. Well, this week was about as busy a week as we've had. Four games in six nights. One of the two off nights was the travel day back from Vancouver. And at the tail end of that four games in six nights stretch was a high school hockey doubleheader. High school hockey games take a ton of prep. So throughout this stretch, I'm trying to work ahead on the four teams that we were supposed to do. Yesterday's the game day. This is something new in my play-by-play career. About noon, so I've got a ton of prep into mm-hmm. these four teams. Mm-hmm. About noon, we get an email saying one of the teams can't make it. Mm-hmm. They're stuck in Grand Rapids, 18 inches of snow, bus couldn't get out of town. So first of all, I'm thinking, all right, I just, I don't know how many hours I wasted getting ready for Edina Grand Rapids history on their rivalry, history on this tournament and their matchups, players involved, all that kind of stuff. So I start revamping. All right, well, now I can just focus on the first game, Eden Prairie, Elk River. About an hour later, we get an email. We're trying to find a new opponent. And I'm thinking, well, all right, you know that this, you don't just show up for a game. And so at about 1.30, quarter to 2 yesterday afternoon, we get an email saying, Good news, St. Louis Park has agreed to play us. They're going to move the game that was supposed to be in January. We're going to play them tonight. So even if at 2 o'clock in the afternoon you found out, okay, at 8.30 tonight I've got this team, i got six and a half hours to cram and get ready, and less than six and a half because you still have to drive there and everything. And the other game. Yeah, I had another game. So it was by 5 o'clock I have to be at the rink prepped for – Edina Eden or Edina and Elk or Eden Prairie and Elk River, knowing that at eight thirty I've got Edina and now St. Louis Park with a bunch so, of people that you've never heard of. Right, probably. so I quickly get a hold of their coach. Hey, can you send me your lineup for tonight? And um, I start. Cram- I haven't seen a St. Louis Park hockey game probably. I'm going to say in twenty six years since I probably have seen them play a hockey game somewhere in that neighborhood. They had a run to the state tournament. I, I, I might be wrong on the years, at least 20 years ago. And so this is a new one in my career for play-by-play, getting a new opponent roughly three hours before I'm going on the air for the first game of a doubleheader. But we got it done last night, and actually St. Louis Park played great. They were fun to watch, a high-energy team, not the biggest team, but, man, they played hard. It was a fun night, and I'm I'm thrilled we have high school hockey back on the air, but that was quite a – <laughs> that was quite a wrinkle thrown at a guy at the last minute. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I watched some of it. It was pre- it was pretty cool um, uh, after my Garen podcast. Uh, so I think it's great that you guys are doing that at Bally's. Um, by the way, again, that podcast with Garen, uh, he also talks about Matt Dumba's future on there and Marco Rossi, and he had some he had some uh, you know uh, candid things to say about what Rossi needs to do to get his act together and up here and and turn into a player. Basically, he wants him to turn into some 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 he wants to, him to be like you know make be assertive you know come up here like Sammy Walker did and make him name for make a point to show that he deserves to be here Mason Shaw that's how he wound up here he wants some fu in his game is basically what he said uh, and then the Dumba thing he did say that they had a conversation earlier in this year to just sort of calm him down when he when Dumba was not playing well I thought Dumba's game the other night was his best of the year yeah. the game against Detroit mm-hmm. I thought he was and he played the most minutes of any wild defenseman because of it he was. He was efficient in his own zone. The puck got out of the zone efficiently when it was on Matt Dumba's stick. He was assertive. Scored the winning goal. <laughs> didn't make the some of the mistakes that we've seen him make, trying to make plays that were more complicated than they had to be coming out of the zone. I thought it was his best game, and as Dean Evason has done since he's been here, if you're playing the best tonight, you'll play. And Dumba played more minutes than any other defenseman that um, night. Somebody asked, uh, sorry I didn't write your name down, if if Dumba is traded or let go in the offseason, who do you think gets that third A? He asked if it's going to be a, a young guy like a Boldy or they go a veteran like a Zuki or Hartman. I, I would think they'd go Eck or, or Brodeen. Eck or Brodeen would be yeah. the guys for me. You know they're going to be here and yeah. those guys are no-brainers with the way they lead by example. You've got... Uh, little bit more of a vocal A already in Marcus Foligno. 
So I don't know that you'd need a guy that necessarily is boisterous. Yeah. You could just have a guy who leads by the way he plays. Uh, somebody asked, uh, sorry again, I didn't write your name down. Uh, if Dumba is traded, would somebody like Dakota Mermis come up or Andre Schuster and take that spot? And my guess would be no. If they trade Matt Dumba, they will have to have an either – another defenseman coming back in that deal, or they will have to have a second deal ready to go right at that moment to get another defenseman. Uh, you're not trading Matt Dumba and elevating a minor leaguer. Yes, you have Alex Goligoski here. We'll see what happens with Goligoski. If he continues to be scratched, I think that Bill Guerin would do him a favor and move him somewhere else. I don't think he wants to, but I think that Goligoski can still play. And if he did that, it would get them an extra $2 million of cap space going into next season. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I also think there's a decent expectation that at the end of the college season Brock Faber will be here and be in the mix mm -hmm. somewhere if so it depends on the timing of if that deal happened during the season or if a deal happened during the season is it close enough to when he might be ready to jump in and that's we're at, we're talking about a kid who'd be coming from college hockey it's not like he's going to jump in and become a top pair defenseman but I think right now all indications are that they like his game enough at the college level where they think he will be ready to step right into the NHL at least. And if he's your sixth or seventh guy, I think that's that changes the necessity to bring an extra defenseman back in the deal you're talking about. Absolutely. Uh, just last uh, question of the show. It's a kind of a fun one from Jody, uh, who's the author of the Hockey Moms Aren't Crazy book. Uh, she wants to know, favorite all-time Minnesota-born NHLer? Do you have one? Uh, that's that, um, that one i got to give some thinking to. I mean, I can yeah, think of a ton. Yeah, the Minnesota-born NHLer yeah. for me is Neil Broughton. He was, my, yep. he was my favorite player when he played for the North Stars. I loved his game, and I still remember – watching him in the state high school hockey tournament. I was growing up in the New Brighton area, so I was on my way to Irondale High School. And Irondale played Rosso in the state tournament. They played him at least twice. Irondale went three years in a row, and one of the games was like a 9-7 to seven game. It was either the third place game or the consolation championship or something. And I actually think that was the year after Neil was there, but it the he I did see him play in the state tournament. And it was... He was just an electric player. I loved his creativity. I loved the way he played the game. I loved the – that was my style of player at that time. I, I was a big Dennis Savard fan with the Blackhawks, and you know, back in those days the North Star Blackhawk rivalries were so fun to watch, and it was – those two guys were two of the most creative playmakers in the league at the time. Uh, so for me, it's Neil Broughton. There have been a lot of great ones, but Broughton was yeah. my favorite. See, uh, favorite for me always is more of like dealing with, uh, you know, not so much watching. Uh, maybe it's the reporter in me, but uh, but I mean, I have so many. I mean, I, I loved, I honestly loved covering Zach Parise. Just, um, you know, so easy to deal with and such a, you know, I, I wrote some of my most meaningful stories here in Minnesota. Um uh, about Zach and his dad and things like that. Uh, Nate Prosser, Mark Parrish, Matt Cullen. Um, yeah, all those Alex guys are Dayla. great guys. Yeah, yeah and I'm yeah. talking more just as a player. Yeah. I, I loved uh, – we were just talking about this when we did a Moorhead high school game the other day. Like, it was – Matt Cullen was playing at Moorhead when I was first starting covering high school hockey, and his dad was the coach, and I had some of my favorite conversations with high school coaches ever were with Terry Cullen. Uh, who I was glad to hear is his health seems to be getting better here lately. But and Matt was a terrific player, awesome player. I loved watching him play. But I, I as an NHL player, Broughton was my favorite. I got a lot of mileage when I covered Florida of uh, Matt Cullen and Mark Parrish stories too, and they were teammates down there. And one of my favorite stories I've ever done in Mac, uh, here in Minnesota was on uh, after Matt Cullen signed here the first time. I drove to Moorhead and did a big story out there. He lived in Fargo, but he showed me he gave me a tour of his childhood home where his mom still lived. He, he we walk into this bedroom and he shows me this window. He goes, "Yeah, that's where Bridget used to sneak in." <laughs> that was just so funny. Um, went to his, you know, the rink there in Moorhead that Dennis Bushy ran or runs. Uh, it was, it was just a, it was a blast to do those uh, stories. So a lot of great, uh, great players. Um, hey, uh, this was a real fun podcast. Uh, we'll do one from San Jose uh, next week. So probably next Friday, I think the Wild play there or Thursday. Um, the, I think you're it's the one who knows my yeah, travel no, no, no. schedule. I think it's I Thursday. No <laughs> After I land in San Jose, you and I will find each other and we will do a podcast there. But that's what, where I'm getting.
getting confused. It'll probably, that one, because of the time change and the time that we're going to do the pod, we're going to do it Thursday late afternoon. It'll probably be released on Friday. So we could go a week from yeah, now. Perfect way to kick off your holiday yeah, break. Exactly. And then we'll do one. Seats in the house we'll, podcast. Yeah, we'll do another one recorded one after uh, Christmas as well, probably uh, the 20th or 29th before you and I go to St. Louis. And then again, January 3rd is our next one at Split Rocks. So I'll look for all our information on Sicily. Again, the dates will be either July uh, 10th to the 19th if we don't do Rome. If we do do Rome, we'll stay an extra couple days there and do July 10th to uh, the 21st. So look for all that information uh, from uh, Anthony and myself and Define Destinations. This was a fun, fun podcast. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors, which include uh, all the Tuttle's restaurants, which include Split Rocks, uh, Grain Belt, um, Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut Water Treatments, Royal Credit Union, Kowalski's, Bosch Law Firm, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, and Moe's Tavern. Talk to you next week, everybody. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never gonna win. Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner. I saw Dave Simonette yesterday, by the way. Uh...